Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome, everyone. My name is Aaron Moniz, and I'm here with my co-host, Blake Dean, and you are listening to New Voices of Mutuality Matters, hosted by CBE International. Uh, today, friends, we are so, so, so excited to have uh, a guest on here whose name might be a little familiar to you. We have uh, Beth Allison Barr, who is um, a, the James Bartom Professor of History at Baylor University, uh, and she earned her PhD in medieval history from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and is the best-selling author of, you may have heard of it, The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. Um, she is also a pastor's wife and mom of two great kids and is currently working on two new publications that we are thrilled to get to talk with her about today. Um, one is Becoming the Pastor's Wife, The History of How Marriage, Not Ordination, became women's pathway to ministry. And the other is losing our medieval religion, the cost of forgetting history for white evangelical Christians. Beth, we are very glad to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, and as our listeners know, we have to kick it off with a watch, read, or listen. So Blake Dean, what are you watching or reading or listening to? Okay. So I just, as of a couple hours ago, started a book that is going to get me through um, my brief um, inner like vacation between semesters. Yes. Um, and it's Nicholas Walterstorff's Art in Action. I'm interested in hmm. philosophy of art and how it intersects with like Christian confession. So I just cracked that open when I finished an exam this morning. So I'm very excited. Always, always challenging us with higher level thinking, Blake Dean. I, what about you? <laughs> well, okay. So I have a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, you know, on brand, but, but I, so I'm a little, a little behind, but we just discovered the show Alaska Daily uh, starring Hillary Swank. And it's a great show about this, um, this newspaper in Alaska that follows this story. But what it does is, is also bringing attention to an actual critical uh, problem in Alaska, which is the missing and murder of indigenous women, which has oh, been yeah. just this staggering problem. And I've really been enjoying the show. It's very well written. The characters are good, but I'm also learning a lot more about this, um, about this, current day issue that I just didn't know much about. And now I'm starting to generate some awareness and learn more about it. So I recommend it to our listeners uh, as as just a, a point for understanding uh, that issue and its importance. So so there you go. See, so not so lowbrow. I, I, something under the guise of Hillary Swank. Under the guise of Hillary Swank. Let's, let's be fair. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, Beth, uh, what are you watching, reading, or listening to these days? <laughs> I'm trying to decide how lowbrow I want to go and maybe surprise <laughs> some folk. Um, I will say that the only thing that I've watched in the past two weeks has been The Mandalorian. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, absolutely. my family is, you know, we're, we are Star Wars, Star Trek people. And so, we have been paying very close attention um, to The Mandalorian and are having some nice. Uh, table conversations uh, about yeah. this season, which I think was all of our least favorite season, but it still had some merits to it. So I don't know. So we're still debating that. Um, as as for what I'm reading, um, I am I always read several things at the same time, mm. and so one of the books that I've been reading is actually. Uh, a book that I was going to assign for my class this semester on suffrage, but I didn't get around to assigning it. And so I'm just reading it for myself. And it's called um, Princess, I'm trying to remember the name, it's Princess Suffragette Revolutionary. And it's by Safiya. It's about Safiya Dalip Singh, who is an Indian um, woman who is ends up in 
England um, for a whole variety of reasons. Essentially, the British steal her empire. <laughs> and anyway, her family gets transplanted to England and she becomes a suffragette and becomes mm. one of the really unsung heroes of the suffrage movement and a woman who um, is very loosely connected to her family, um, who is a journalist in the UK, picked up her story and wrote a really engaging book. I'm almost at the end of it um, about Sophia Dalip Singh. And so it's really excellent. And so I, I was, I, the reason I didn't assign it this semester is because I found out right before the beginning of the semester that it was out of print. And I was really mm-hmm. annoyed by that because it's a relatively recent publication. And so it just shows us what the worth that people still have for women of color in the suffrage movement. Mm. And so I actually find the fact that it's out of print really discouraging. Mm. Mm. Thank you for, for just bringing that to our attention. We can, we'll have to start an internet campaign. Yeah, and, uh, it's a good book. <laughs> awesome. Right Fantastic. Uh, well, wonderful. We're, we're so glad to have you today. And I know most of our listeners, um, I think I can, I can speak uh, freely that, that they are familiar with your work, familiar with you. Um, and just before we get into your new projects, this is sort of bridge a gap uh, with, with, just the making of biblical womanhood and, yeah. and what you've contributed thus far to the conversation um, to talk a little bit about how your work on gender theology is, uh, is sort of distinct because it's rooted in your work as a historian and a medieval uh, scholar, which means your books, um, unlike, unlike some of the other books that we often uh, talk about or, or even the topics we, we talk about on the podcast that are more in the quote unquote theological uh, yeah. books on the topic concerning women, um, their place in history, scripture and modernity um are are all woven into your research. So I, I'd love we'd love to just hear you speak to why you think history as a oh, discipline yeah. and as reflected in your work is important for our discussions about gender theology. So I made the mistake really early on at some point um, making the distinction that I'm neither a theologian or a biblical scholar. And the reason for that was simply to um, let people know that where my field was, that I am a medieval historian. But at the same time, it seemed to give away to some people that maybe I didn't have any academic training in either biblical scholarship or um, theology, which is not true. Um, I actually can hold my own in both Mm. of those areas quite well. Um, But I am a historian. And I think sometimes people don't understand that what differentiates us is methodology as well Mm -hmm. as the questions that we ask. And so when we think about theology, um, the questions that when I think about theology, I think about where did this theology come from? Why did we see it arise at this particular historical moment? Um, why did these certain people come up with this idea when they started thinking about God? Why was this the way that they started thinking about God? How is it rooted in their historical circumstances? And then what does that tell us about that theology? Mm-hmm. And so the questions are more about the historical, um, about how theology can never be divorced from history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas I think a lot of times we try to divorce, we're like, theology comes only from the Bible. It comes only from our understanding of who God is. And I'm like, well, yes, theology is our understanding of who God is, and it is rooted you know, mostly in, I would, you know, for Christian theology, it's rooted in the Bible, but it is not simply from the Bible and it is not simply from 
um, how we think about God. It is rooted in who we are as people. And it is rooted in what type of person we are, um, whether we are white or people of color, whether we are male or female, whether we live upper middle class in the U.S. in the 21st century, or whether we live in global Africa in the late 19th century. This matters. for why we see God a certain way. Um, And so my argument is that if we if we want to understand theology and if we want to understand why some theology has risen to dominance, we have to understand the historical circumstances of that theology. Um, And so what I try to do with all my works is root why we believe certain things in the historical context that created those beliefs. Um, so if that's a little bit helpful and I can talk more about it. Yeah, Yeah, no, it is. And I actually would like to hear just a little bit more, um, maybe on this particular question for our listeners who are, um, kind of lay people that are kind of like not, not academics, um, but are in spaces which have particularly historically rooted, um, but maybe uncritically historically yeah. rooted assumptions about women yeah. um, and their roles in the church or in the home, et cetera, um, and pick up your book, maybe the maybe the most well-known Making of Biblical Womanhood and found it helpful. But um, how, how might they articulate maybe to their leaders or to their mm. peers um, when they're in, if they found it particularly enlightening and helpful, but have to, but want to hand it off. Right. Um, why is history important to the way that our churches um, understand women? Oh yeah. No. And I think you're exactly right that uh, it is so uncritically examined. Yeah. I think that's a big part of our problem. And I think part of our uncritical examination is because we're afraid. We're afraid mm-hmm. that if we question why we believe something, that it might mean that our belief is derived fully from human thought and that it might dismiss the existence of God, which in fact, I have found the opposite to be true, mm-hmm. that the more we question why we believe things, the more we actually learn about the persistence and the continuity of God and the faith mm-hmm. of people who came before us, and the more comfortable we become with being able to be like, oh, well, they believe that, and I understand why they believe that, but I actually think I believe this, and, but it doesn't diminish God that we yeah, believe different right. things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is, so when we think about people in churches um, who have gotten over this fear and have begun to critically examine their own beliefs, it can be really hard to bring other people alongside them. So I have found a very... A, one of the ways that I primarily do this is through asking questions. Um, so for folk who argue, they're like, well, you know, I understand that women are capable and are, um, you know, really good teachers for elementary school kids, but I think God doesn't allow them to, you know, teach Sunday school at my church. I'd be like, well, that's really fascinating. Why? Let's talk about that. Where do you get that from? And if you can get people to start thinking about why they think that, without challenging them, without being like, you know, that's just really stupid. You're, you're wrong. Um, it can break down some of those barriers and get them to start thinking through. I mean, I think a big problem is we haven't thought through it. We have only listened to what other people have told us. And then when we actually start thinking through it and we're like, what, what, what about Romans 16? I've never read Romans 16 before. I mean, I, so many people that I have encountered have never read Romans 16 before. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's just, it's not challenging them when you simply point them back to the Bible, which they already mm-hmm. believe in. Right. And yeah. so I think that that's to me has been not, you know, I don't try to, I don't try to introduce Mary Daly. I don't try to introduce <laughs> any sort of, you know, I, I mean, cause I don't think, um, while those ideas don't scare me, I'm mm-hmm. also confident enough that I can be like, yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not afraid of it, but a lot of people who have never been introduced to these ideas. Um, it can be scary. And so I think the better thing to do is just to base it in the Bible. And just if we can get people to stop and think about why we have started to make some progress. And so that's really, I think, you know, um, I think we, if we can just get people to stop and think and maybe get them to start asking questions, maybe after six months, they might be ready to read my book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. Fair point. Change takes time. Mm, Yeah, indeed. It's time. That it does. Wonderful. Um, well, we've been uh, doing some 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 back research on what you're working on now. I've been following yeah. you on the socials and seeing all the um, exciting things going into these new projects, and we're very excited about them. Um, but we want just to hear a little from you and let our listeners get some insights into what is exciting you about these two new projects, uh, Becoming the Pastor's Wife and Losing Our Medieval Religion that you're working through right now. What What is really, really getting you excited about these projects? Yeah. So um, I think y'all are the first podcast that I've really talked about my two new projects. So you can put that one out there. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure I will be doing it much more as we move towards the release of the first one. Um, but these two projects, you know, I mean, I tell people that when I wrote The Making of Biblical Womanhood, um, it was an act of desperation. I never intended to do more than that in trade press books. I was going to drop it and run <laughs> back to the medieval <laughs> archives. <laughs> that was my original plan. Um, and it wasn't for several months. It was actually when I got offered the Bartman chair and was able to move from the dean role that I really began to think, I was like, you know what? I do have more to say. Mm. And um, I think I have a moment where maybe people might listen. And so that was when I came back to Brazos and said, you know, I might write another book for you, um, but only if you let me write too. And uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's <awesome>. great. <laughs> um, because I, by that time I was like, I know what I want to write. Um, I want to wrap it with a bow and pretty much mm-hmm. say what I want to say. And so what I did with these next two book projects, um, becoming the pastor's wife was something that uh, there was a lot of audience, um, interest in me writing on being a pastor's wife. And at first I was like, I'm not going to do a bio here. I don't care mm-hmm. about that. I don't know why that matters until I sat down historically and started thinking through it. And I was like, it, do I have anything that I can say about being a pastor's wife that really matters to this larger conversation? And so what I did is I spent about three months reading a lot on the history of ordination mm-hmm. and the pastor's wife role. And by the end of that, I was like, I have something I can, I can add into this argument because I can say that there is a connection between the decline of women's ordination and the rise of the pastor's wife role. Mm. And so that's what becoming the pastor's wife is. It tells the story of this really critical role, this new role for Protestant women. Um, that is a very influential and I would say a very significant role 
but it is a role unlike any other that women have held throughout history. It is completely novel. Like the idea of biblical womanhood, it is a novel idea. Um, and it is directly connected to biblical womanhood. Um, it is also connected to the decline of women serving in independent leadership positions. Um, and so I'm telling a long history. Again, this is going to sort of mirror the story of the making of biblical womanhood, but it is going to dive deep into women's ministry roles in the church um, and what women have done historically um, and how it connects to me um, mm. as, as a pastor's wife, as a, as a Baptist pastor's wife in 2023. Yeah. So I'm really excited about it. I've got some really great chapter title names um, that I'm, you know, every time I think about this project, it's uh, it just is exciting. And in fact, um, Aaron and I were talking about at the beginning of this podcast. She was like, oh, you have a lot of grading to do. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to until I write my stuff for the day because this project yeah. is so close to my heart and I'm so yeah. excited about it. So um, before I move on yeah. to losing our medieval religion, yeah. is there anything you want to ask me about more? It's yeah. I'm very excited about this project. And yeah. I think I wouldn't have been as excited a couple of years ago until we did this podcast only because of the stories we've heard yes. while right. doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. We had one guest who literally got a scholarship to a Bible college, was got money for her education under the like agreement and assumption that her task at this Bible college was to find a pastor yep. or a future pastor to marry. Yes. Which is so astounding to me. I'm not I'm I'm very rarely astounded yeah. by patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> but like that is such an astounding because even as you're talking, it's like, it's a novel idea and it feels novel. It doesn't right. feel ancient. <laughs> like it no. feels very novel. Um, and so I'm very excited about that book, even for the way that that overlaps with like things that are still happening and money yeah. that's being given under this kind of novel conception of like, I don't know, like a, a counterfeit empowerment well, of women. You know, mm. and I mean, that's the thing too, is that in writing this book, I think as a pastor's wife, I can write this with a lot of, um, I think, uh, you know, clearly I have been part of this yeah. mm -hmm. and I understand how important this role has been for women. Um, you know, so I'm not writing to discount yeah. the significance of this role um, yeah. because, you know, I think the truth of women's history is we call it in medieval history, we call it the economy of makeshifts. You mm -hmm. do, you use what you have to do what yeah. you can. And women have always used what they have yeah. to do what they can. Yeah. And the pastor's wife role has been a way that women can do ministry, <clears throat> sanctioned ministry in places that don't allow women to have ministerial authority. Mm. And so it's been a really, you know, it's been a way that women have, um, but, but at the same time, it also has been a way to funnel mm -hmm. women's ministerial authority off. Um, and keep it from competing with male authority. Um, it's, and discipleship so, of women. Yep, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. To yeah. separate off discipleship of women. Yeah it, yeah, it does. And so it's led to, so it's been this, so it's this really fascinating, I think, historically um, development. And I'm just, you know, I've been in the Southern Baptist Archives in Nashville. And um, the challenge right now is I have so much material. 
Mm. You know, I'm just like, this is my challenge is turning this into 70,000 words. Yeah. Actually, it's supposed to be 60,000 words, but I guarantee you it's going to be 70,000. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't tell process. All right. Like, I'm, I'm sure yeah. we're fine. I'm sure we're fine. Um, yeah. We, we want to hear about the next project, but first we're going to just take a quick break to hear from some exciting opportunities from our, our sponsors, friends at CBE. CBE is headed to Brazil in July 2023 to host an international conference that promotes women's biblical equality and shared leadership in the home, church, and world. At CBE conferences, people come together from countries around the world to explore egalitarian theology historically, biblically, and socially. Many conference attendees come from backgrounds where women's equal authority is not accepted in the home, church, or workplace, and where theological patriarchy encourages the subjugation of women and girls, resulting in abuse. It is crucial that we provide conference scholarships so students, pastors, and those who cannot afford the registration fee can attend to receive egalitarian resources and encouragement from an international network of scholars, leaders, and practitioners to empower their life, work, and studies. We need your help to educate more people through CBE conferences so they will advocate for women's biblical equality and proclaim the liberation that women and men have through Christ. $70,000 is needed for scholarships and planning costs for Brazil 2023. Come alongside CBE to help scholarship recipients and all conference attendees engage in the conversation for women's biblical equality and for them to build awareness of the abuse of theological patriarchy. All right, back to our conversation with Beth Allison Barr about her upcoming projects. Tell us a little bit about the Losing Our Medieval Religion oh. project and what's exciting you about that. So I'll tell you where the title came from. And this mm-hmm. is um, before I ever thought about writing The Making of Biblical Womanhood or um, or definitely The Becoming the Pastor's Wife. If I had thought about a trade press book, I had thought about writing about the cost of forgetting medieval history. Mm-hmm. And this actually stemmed from many years ago. I'm trying to remember what year it was now, uh, probably 2015, 2014, 2015. And I was actually in England on a research trip. Um, and it was when I had learned about the SAT considering dropping all pre-1500 history questions. And it was just this. And I was just like, I was just like stunned because I was like, what the heck? um, And I was actually sitting, I, when I was sitting at a medieval Abbey called Wilshall Abbey, which is one of the places that um, it was just a, it's just a ruin. It's out way in West um, um, Shropshire, almost in Wells is where it is. And I was sitting out there and I had been reading this story on the bus on the way to, uh, this is out in the middle. You have to take like a train and a bus and then you have to walk like a mile um, to get out here. So I was out in the middle of nowhere and I was passing a, a street and the street was Winifred Street. And mm. it suddenly occurred to me, I was like, nobody here knows why this street is Winifred Street. Um, only somebody like me, who's a medieval historian, who knows that Lilshall Abbey is actually connected to St. Winifred. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, which is this very sick and it's this whole thing. So I started looking around that place where I was walking and I saw all of these connections um, to like, you know, there was another street that's like Bishop's Row or something like that. Mm-hmm. And all of these things that were connected to this medieval abbey. But modern people living in that village may have completely forgotten it. Yeah. And so they didn't understand how so much of the world in which they lived was formed. 
by the medieval world. And so that was where, and I wrote this blog post called Losing Our Medieval Religion, you know, because I'm a child of the 90s, so REM <laughs> and, um, you know, yes. losing our religion. So that was just, and, it, and that, so that idea has always been circulating in my brain. And it seems to me that as I got more and more involved in the making of biblical womanhood, that idea kept coming back up to me um, that so much. In fact, I had to cut a couple of sections from from making biblical womanhood that I really wanted to talk about, which were more just the medieval history, how much we have forgotten medieval history. Um, So this project is uh, the research that I'm already doing for this project as I'm going to all these archives um, for the pastor's wife, um, is studying how medieval history has been taught in church history in the six flagship Mm -hmm. Baptist seminaries. And Mm -hmm. it is, so I'm doing like this comprehensive curriculum review, (laughs) uh, which is a lot of fun, is a lot of fun. Um, And it's also terrifying Mm -hmm. because I think it can help explain how we are at this moment where we have forgotten about all of these powerful female leaders in the church. Um, And it's because we have completely wiped medieval Christianity off of our Protestant history. And so I'm, it's going to be a really good book to put a bow on my trilogy. And it's Mm -hmm. also going to be a book where I get to convince people who I think, you know, it's, I get people ask me like to do articles on like modern Baptist history. And I'm like, that's fun, but I'm not, I'm a medievalist. I'm like, I'm a medievalist. So I'm really excited about getting to show people that I'm a medievalist. So mm. I'm really looking forward. It'll, it, I, I keep telling people that that book's just writing itself. Yeah. Can I ask, this might be too large of a question. Oh, sure if you could put one or two things on why medieval history has been neglected, forgotten or compromised. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's... Um, particularly in church history. Um, what, yeah. What, what, what are those roots that you're kind of seeing or drawing out? Oh yeah, no, that's pretty easy. Um, 19th century anti-Catholicism. Um, mm. That's a big piece, a big player in this is that 19th century anti-Catholicism were there. And yeah. um, it was just a, idea that the Catholic church was that there wasn't that there was not only something wrong with the structure at the end of the Catholic church, but that the entire medieval Christian Mm. beliefs were actually almost heretical Um, Mm. that they, they were not, this also kind of arose with what we call covenant theology, which we find in the 20th century more this idea Mm -hmm. that God preserves a remnant, Mm -hmm. uh, which you know, God does preserve a remnant. But this idea that the remnants, is Protestantism and Mm -hmm. not just, and mostly what we would consider to be evangelical Protestantism. And, um, and they're the only ones that actually preserve um, that reality of the message that God gave us. I mean, it's this very weird sort of thing that we see really, you know, has roots in the 19th century. Um, And because of that, the idea was that essentially for a thousand years, what medieval people believe doesn't matter and because they're not Christian. And and that has just, uh, you know, so many people still carry, I think those ideas. In fact, I I mean, my husband, when I was writing the making of biblical womanhood, he's the one who talked me into writing the Paul chapter. And the Mm. reason was, is he was like, Beth, you've got to show them 
he's like, if you just really focus on the start of the medieval era and move forward, he's like, they're not going to pay any attention to you because they don't think medieval Christianity matters. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so he's like, you've got to get them at the beginning to show them how history has influenced this theology before yeah. you can. You've got to get them on board with you before you can walk them into that medieval era. Yeah, and right. um, and he was dead right about that. And so yeah. I think but there's that bias that. The last really critical person um, in church history was somewhere around, um, you know, Augustine. And yeah. then maybe Thomas Aquinas had some good things, but that's yeah, that's actually a weird thing for Protestants to like Thomas Aquinas. Um, I don't, I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I don't understand that. But um, but then you we just jump that right up to the Reformation, and yeah. and that's pretty much all the church history we teach. Yeah, that's right. And it, and what gets lost in that is the women who were serving in the medieval era. Oh well, yeah, so much gets lost in that. I mean, you know, I yeah. still I still remember that. Um, Catholic Hill, what is it? The Bab, no, sorry, the Capitol Hill Baptist Church, which is the Marks Nine mm-hmm. um, church in Washington, D.C. And they had that Sunday school curriculum that I read for the first time. And a friend actually mm-hmm. sent it to me. And I wrote her back and I said, uh, Yeah, I'm about to write a critical blog on this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, but it had, you know, essentially it has the statement in there where it says that maybe there were a few monks and nuns that really believed in Jesus, but most medieval people didn't know, didn't have faith. And I was just like, I was just like, what are you, are you seriously that arrogant that you, I mean, I was just like, and I think I also wrote a blog after that called did medieval Christians know Jesus. (laughs) Let's just get at this. So, um, so this has been as a medievalist, you know, as a woman in the church, the making of biblical womanhood and becoming the yeah. pastor's wife are the most critical. As a medieval scholar, losing our medieval religion um, is, I think, and in yeah. it, yeah. I'm what the parts that I'm telling of that story connect to the loss yeah. of women's roles in the church. So, and, and I'm so excited. Aaron and I talk a lot about because we've been chatting with authors around this women in the church, men and women. Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And some the things that get us really, or me particularly, but us, I think also collectively excited is whenever we can, there are core conversations that are really important. Yeah. There are mm-hmm. texts that need to be explicated. The early church really matters. Modern history really matters. But whenever we can stretch the conversation to go, oh, there's these other things. There's these right. other influences. There's these other points that we have inherited and received or mm-hmm. not received and right. inherited mm-hmm. um, that are really important to the way that we move forward, both in charity to the past, as well as in love of neighbor and love of God right? and right? orthodoxy yeah. now. And I think that's so exciting that both of those works are kind of coming together at the same time yeah. for you, these new, these new projects, but particularly that latter one, I think, I hope our listeners will, um, go get that one, even though it's not as maybe explicitly in their like discrete topical interest. Yeah, because it's all in the same conversation, which is what does it mean to follow Jesus as men? Right. Men? Well, I hope by the time I get done with becoming the pastor's wife, people will trust me enough that yeah. they'll 
yeah, that they will be yeah. willing to see what I have to say about medieval Christianity. So, I like it. Yes, yeah. indeed. And, 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 and we, we co-sign, we co-sign on that and we'd like to um, <laughs> just, just encourage our, our listeners, if you're not already following um, Dr. Barr on, in, in just the, the many places, uh, social media, Substack, the places where she is already putting out a lot of information and, and, and interesting nuggets that hopefully will be whetting your appetite for these new projects and getting her you connected to anything uh, that you might not have read of hers uh, up till this point. We just want to encourage you. Um, uh, these are some great resources and um, and hope that you uh, are already tapped in and already excited. But but on that note, um, Beth, can you can you tell our listeners how can they follow you? How can oh, sure. they get connected? How can we support you? Yeah, um, if you want an exciting time, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, love it. Love some it. Days, um, I think I've gotten, uh, anyway, it's, it's the more followers you have in some ways, um, it's, I've gotten to the point where now I don't see as much of mm. the negative stuff that people mm -hmm. like throw my way. So I guess it kind of, it all kind of, there's a lot of it that blurs together. So it's actually gotten at a more comfortable place again. Um, there was a while that I was just like, I don't even want to be on Twitter at all. But right, now right, I've gotten yeah. it. It's actually kind of interesting. Um, however, Substack is becoming the place where I'm investing yeah. a lot more. And I may eventually actually move from Twitter completely to Substack because they have this lovely um, notes area that functions mm -hmm. like Twitter that you can talk on and you can post things. Cool. And yeah, it is. It's really cool. And so um, and I like the nature of Substack because it is engaging with ideas and people don't, you know, I mean, on Twitter, one of the problems with Twitter is there's so many voices and they're all like, why aren't you talking about my thing? And I'm yeah. like, yes. <laughs> there's only so many things I could talk about. And, um, and there's only so many things I'm equipped to talk about. Right. And so, whereas on Substack, because of the nature of it, it's more, I think it's more, you talk about what you are equipped to talk about and nobody's like, why aren't you talking about my stuff? So, um, so I, I may end up moving, throwing most of my weight towards Substack. Um, but I'm also going to always hang out on Instagram. I find Instagram really comfortable space. Um, and it's a place where you get not just me as a scholar, but you get me as a person. Mm -hmm. And so you'll yeah. see a lot of pictures of my kids. You'll see a lot of pictures of my students, the people that I live with, because I'm yeah. a faculty in residence at Baylor. So mm -hmm. I live with students. So you'll get a lot of my life on Instagram. And um, so I think, so I'll, I'll probably always stay on Instagram. Twitter's, uh, we'll see. <laughs> <Another day. laughs> yeah. yeah. Blake uh, and I have this ongoing debate about <clears throat> the merits of Twitter yeah. and social media in particular. And exactly. he's more of a, he's more of a social media monastic and I'm more of uh, a participant. <laughs> and uh, so this Substack news, I think you might, you might just win him over. I'm just, I'm just yeah. going to prophesy about that right now. <laughs> I'm, you know, Scott McKnight tried to get me on Substack like a year and a half ago and he kept telling yeah. me, he kept ah, do this. And then <laughs> Kristen got on Substack and she was like, whoa, this is like, really, this is a great place. And yeah. so then between the two of them, I was like, okay, I'm going to go look at it. And I was afraid of the commitment. That's kind of funny mm. to say, because on a group <laughs> blog, writing on the anxious bench on Patheos, I had a lot of people writing with me. Yeah, so it didn't all depend on me. Right. And so I was a little worried about that on Substack, but um, I've only committed to two things a month and I oh, hope yeah. to build up to more, but I can handle two things a month. So. There you go. That's that's so great. Well, it's it's just been a joy talking with you today. Blake, do you mind uh, yeah. taking us out? Uh, yeah. 
And thank you listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you can hear weekly from our co-hosts from other themes as we develop continual conversations on gender theology for the gospel empowerment of men and women. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You should also go to their website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to their blog, magazine, and academic journal. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And then you should go visit their bookstore where you can find a ton of talented authors like Beth Allison Barr and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in the leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. We would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. I'm Blake Dean with my co-host, the Reverend Dr. Aaron Munoz. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. 